0: Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary.
1: I'm just a little songbird try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat don't know where it'll take me, take me cause when I'm in the dark of night I sing my way back to the light come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything oh oh
2: welcome to the arts for the health of it podcast i am
0: your host richard wilmore i'm your co-host constanza Rader.
2: yay and we have a really great episode today that we're i'm excited to share with you uh we just talked to nick fagan who is an artist a visual artist he works a lot with found objects which i think is super fascinating i was like it's to- so cool to walk into a thrift store at the end of the episode, you have to stay for that because he kind of walks you through how you should go to a thrift store like him and Macklemore are just at the thrift store.
0: picking <laughs> <and> out,
2: Picking <laughs> <laughs> out all the things to make some amazing art. And if I, if you're listening and not watching, make sure you're watching at least the beginning because he gives a quick tour of his studio and he has some amazing pieces.
0: So cool. But first, yeah. we have a special guest with us today. We have Carol with us.
2: Carol. <laughs> Hi, Hello. Carol.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here.
1: For <laughs> on.
2: Carol, uh, you we've known you for a little while. You were an artist in residence with Hearts Need Art for a little while. You're a musician. Yes. And you are also a caretaker.
1: Yes. Do
2: you want to tell us about your your hospital experience and your experience with with Hearts Need Art?
1: Yes. So I wanted to um, start by a note from my journal. I was going through my journal this morning on um, when I had written when my husband was in the hospital. And um, the first thing that I wrote down, I said, we were so blessed by these two musicians who just came Mm -hmm. by our room who volunteered with Hearts Need Art. They sang a couple of our favorite Christian songs, which made us cry. And they were so sweet and caring. We prayed together and talked a bit and found out that we have a mutual friend as well. Such a small world. So my husband was about to undergo a bone marrow transplant. And earlier in the year, he had been diagnosed um, with an incurable disease, which attacks your organs called amyloidosis. Um, upon that discovery, they also found cancer, um, two small tumors on his left kidney, 22 rounds of chemo um, were complete. Now we had the bone marrow transplant and kidney surgery um, that were in our future. Um, and so when we were there in the hospital, having hearts Need art, like come in like right away, really, um, really made a big difference to us. And it really helped us a lot just... Um, signifying that we really had people that did care along with us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense.
0: Well, I know we all loved working with y'all, and then we were really excited when you asked to join our team and and <laughs> work with other other patients and caregivers. And we're great, really grateful for that. Um, And you, you know, so we have our new Gratitude Grams program where we're expressing um, thanks to our professional caregivers, our healthcare providers. Um, And anyone can go to our website, heartseenart.org and click on the Gratitude Grams tab. And you can write a note to express thanks to healthcare workers. And then we include these notes in videos that we send directly to them. They get them in their inbox. Um, And Carol shared a note um, that we, thought was so beautiful and we wanted her to come on and and read it just because you know our healthcare workers are so important to us when we're going through health challenges and it's important to to thank them well <laughs> so carol do you want to read what you wrote
1: <laughs> absolutely um just before i read this not only were every single doctor and every single nurse amazing um But I included the Hearts Need Art volunteers, uh, not myself because I wasn't volunteering at the time, but just we all take for granted um, everything that everyone does. And so that's where um, this little note, little prayer comes from. So Mm -hmm. I said, Dear Amazing Healthcare Worker, my prayer for you today. Lord, give them strength and wisdom when others need their touch, a soothing word to speak to them their hearts yearn for so much. Give them joy and laughter to lift a weary soul. Pour in them compassion to make the broken whole. Give them gentle, healing hands for those placed in their care. When they become weary, give them rest, which is so rare. Mm-hmm. Their work is sacrificial and cannot be undone. God bless our healthcare workers, each and every one.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. And our heartfelt. Thanks and gratitude to all of our healthcare workers right now. You know, going, you know, on year two of COVID, <laughs> um, um, we know burnout rates are high, and we just want every, all all the healthcare workers listening to know that we love you and we're behind you, and we're very grateful for you. Absolutely. So thank thank you, Carol, so much for coming on. We appreciate you.
2: Yes, thank you so much. Love y'all.
0: Carol, can we
2: get an update on your husband?
1: Yes, he is doing amazing. Actually, he's back at work, and he's got all of his immunization back again. And he's, we couldn't be more grateful for Methodist
3: Health.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we're so... We can't give hugs. So give him a hug for us.
0: Okay, air hugs. Air hugs.
2: (laughs) Carol, thanks for jumping on with us today.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you, Carol. Take care. (laughs)
2: That was Carol. She's amazing.
0: (laughs) So let's
2: jump into that interview uh, with Nick Fagan. He's an artist who works in Richmond, Virginia. He deals with a wide range of issues such as mental health, spiritualism, and self-identity. And he explores these issues using different mediums as a way to amplify these issues. And uh, it was a great interview.
0: It was a good interview. And one note, we mentioned an art piece that's in the Smithsonian gallery um, that we couldn't remember the name of the artist, um, but the, the installation was very striking. So if you want to look it up, um, we mentioned uh, the installation is called The Throne of the Third Heaven of the Nation's Millennium General Assembly. And it's by an artist named James Hampton. Uh, it's a beautiful art piece. Um, so if you want to check that out while we're talking about it, um, there that's the name of it. So you can Google it.
2: Yes, because we had no idea what it was when we were talking about it. <laughs> But then we looked up pictures, and it's amazing. It
0: is. So it's very here's,
2: cool. Here's that interview with Nick Fagan.
0: Richard, good to meet you.
2: Thanks for uh, jumping on today.
4: Yeah, totally.
2: How do you pronounce your last name?
4: Uh, it's Fagan, F-A-G-A-N. Okay. So.
2: just like it's spelled. I just wanted to make sure. Nick a lot Fagan.
4: Fagan, you know.
2: Depending on where you're from, probably the little accent. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm from I Wisconsin, will. so I'd probably be like Fagan. Like, yeah, so it would yeah, there you not go. sound great.
4: Yeah, Midwest is like that too.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, If you are listening to this podcast, you need to jump over on our YouTube channel and watch at least the beginning part of this because there is some amazing artwork hanging behind Nick in this video. Can you give us a little 360 tour again of your studio?
4: Yeah, totally. So this is kind of like where I make most of my work and stuff. It's kind of changing all the time, but here's a little 360 from my couch.
0: That's so cool. Oh. I love the mixed media. I love the 3d. Oh gosh, this is just so cool. And of this course, is- I'm a huge fan of the crochet on your wall. Oh, thank you. As a crochet artist myself, I appreciate that.
2: Can we get a, an upshot of that? Yeah, of course. That's so cool. So did you, you made that?
4: Yeah. So I use, uh, right now I've been doing a lot of fabric work. So, um, a lot of times I'm using moving blankets and crocheted blankets. And what I'm doing is stretching them over uh, canvases or stretchers. Then I'm going back in and actually cutting the images with like the crocheted blanket under the moving blanket and then cutting the moving blanket to reveal the crocheted and kind of giving us kind of weird kind of texture and different kind of mediums meeting.
2: The thing that I was drawn to when I was uh, doing research on you was, I think that probably the first sentence in like your bio that that your art is a material reaction to my experiences with mental health and disability. And I think that 100% uh, sums up kind of what arts and health is really.
4: Yeah, um, basically like I I have pretty severe learning disabilities with like reading and writing. So like growing up, it was really hard to express myself um, Mm. in general, like trying to communicate feelings and things like that, but I realized like, through visual mediums, I could really do a better job at that kind of um, really kind of be able to express something that I couldn't write or say because it was just too hard to translate. Mm. So when you don't have those options, you find something like that. So I was drawn to art for that reason. And, you know, I still am drawn to it. It is like a conductor for uh, getting out kind of expressions for me.
0: Mm. What did you have a, a first time that you kind of discovered that art could be a language for you an expressive language was there a class or something you know how did you come to that
4: yeah so um I've always done art and stuff but like I never really thought about seriously or anything but I had this teacher in middle school who uh she kind of sat me by and she's like you know you really like can do this and like you're pretty good at like ideas or like you know thinking creatively and I was like whatever okay sure but then uh she called my house at night um talked to my mom and my dad and was like this kid should really do art oh man she pulled out the big
0: guns yeah yeah and
4: i didn't (laughs) know this was happening and so they get off the phone and they're like we just talked to your art teacher and i was like oh crap i hope i didn't do something wrong." (laughs) (laughs) and uh they were like she just told us you should do art and like you you should we're gonna support you in that and so they were very supportive and you know they were like let's find something that like you're good at because before that I was struggling, you know, I wasn't good at anything really. So it was like really nice to find kind of home in that. My parents being super supportive in that. Mm -hmm.
3: Did you
2: feel confident in your art making up until that point?
4: Not exactly. I mean, I think you're, you're still a kid. So I was like 12 or anything. So like art in general was such a weird thing. It was like either like the cartoons that I like to draw or like the you know, Da Vinci kind of like, hyper realistic, that was my idea of art. So I just like, I don't know, I didn't really understand what confidence in art was yet.
0: Sounds like you use a lot of found items, right? Like, you're not necessarily always using traditional art materials for your pieces. And I would love for you to talk about that and how you kind of came to work in those mediums.
4: Yeah. Um, well, I've always been a thrift store person, kind of yes. like exploring thrifting. Um, pretty <laughs> that's much that's really what own.
2: this episode should be
4: about. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. My uh it like started with my grandma, she would always thrift, like always picking up stuff from different thrift stores, glasses, like uh a lot of lamps. She collected like lamps like crazy. Oh. But I think I got that in my like, you know, in my blood. So when I was in high school, I started thrifting and things like that, mostly like t-shirts from like you know the 80s and 90s of like weird ironic brands but then it kind of transformed where i start seeing things that at first i think they were ironic buys but then it became more sincere so like crocheted blankets i thought they were just kind of like a gross not gross but
2: (laughs) you (laughs) can say it i mean in a a thrift store maybe yes
4: (laughs) i mean they were just tacky you know it's like they're they're like the worst color like combinations and it's just like a weird pattern like the was it like I forget. There's like a certain pattern. The
0: chevron, like the classic. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
4: exactly. And at first I was like, oh, this is so ugly. I like it. But then I like (laughs) sincerely fell in love. And one thing that I really liked is about like thrifting and finding objects is the history. Like Mm. for me, I think there's like a big charge of an object that has been kind of like not created by me. However, I'm like curating it. So. Mm. Like figuring out this history, trying to figure out who made this or like, what is this? Like, why did someone want to do this and stuff? So I look for objects that kind of have that curiosity to me. So like, again, the blankets Mm -hmm. were like, I just think of these grandmother's figures who, you know, they're not like, there's no sense of design. There's no sense of like art (laughs) or anything. It's just I want to make something for somebody. Mm. So like, I really like that charge of that. And like other things I've thought about, like I've worked with wood um, that was part of an old stadium that got wrecked down here, but it had all this history of like big performers would come and play here. And it was completely forgotten about. And I just thought about all these scratch marks that were left in the wood Mm. as this residue of people and stuff. And I wanted to show appreciation to this kind of like lost history of objects.
0: I love what you said about like the, the the proverbial grandmother's crochet blankets and maybe there isn't a lot of formal design or pretty colors or whatever, but there's almost like the sense of artification in its raw form of of making something meaningful to them special. Like their grandchild is being born and that grandchild is very special to them so they want to make something and they may not have the tools to or the like the know-how to create necessarily something traditionally beautiful but like what a beautiful expression of of love and and meaning and kind of its
4: its rawest form oh my god yeah that's like my favorite part of those blankets they're Mm. like made for that it's like i love you yeah to
0: oh i'm gonna tear up it's that's so i i hadn't really i i kind of find mm-hmm. myself hating on like ugly crochet blankets too <laughs> the, like i guess the crochet stop. but me.
4: it's like it, it's but... in a similar vein as like macaroni art from your kid you know yeah. it's like this or like bad pottery from your kid's class <laughs> it's not good so to say but it's beautiful to you because yeah. it's like so sincere and like this like really nice kind of like i don't know like uh this kind of like love hours kind of thing. Someone took time to build yeah. it for you personally.
0: Would you say that there's maybe t- two different classifications of art or would you just consider them on a on a spectrum? You know, you have this like raw expression of creativity that's very rooted in love but d- maybe doesn't have skill and then you have like a highly like a a piece made by an artist that's excellent in their work um that's really awe-inspiring and beautiful and like they're both art but they're they're different I don't know I just I'm curious on your thoughts on that
4: I think like like let's call them like art worlds or something that's what I like to think that's like a really relative identity with the community you're in so your exposure to art is kind of where you live or your community if you go to art Mm. school you're going to have a different kind of exposure mostly to contemporary art galleries things like that but say you know Or say you're, you know, a graffiti artist and stuff. You're going to have a different exposure to that. And that's going to be your art world. Same with the person who's going to uh, county fairs, seeing like maybe like a quilted quilted piece or a soda Mm. can airplane or something like that. That's art to them. And it's completely like, you know, those are all like, I think, exceptional, like good art worlds, you know. Mm. Like it's not like I say a hierarchy, so to say. I think some people think that, but in reality, it's just like, more of, like, where you kind of see yourself or where you see art in your life.
2: Hmm. How has your art worlds evolved since you started?
4: Uh, Oh, man. (laughs) Take your time. Where do I start? (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, going back to when I was, like, you know, 10 or 11 and stuff, like or, like, 12 or 13, I really didn't know anything. You know, I knew, like, Picasso, like, Salvador Dali, a couple of them, and then I started. my parents were again very like supportive and so they were like you know you should start really going to like do art things and stuff and start like maybe like helping out so there was a local gallery it was a community gallery that I started just interning at and stuff called Grace up in uh, Reston, Virginia and um, they started showing kind of weirder art I wouldn't say like completely kind of like conceptual but there was like a lot of craft elements that I really didn't know about so that Mm. was really kind of like okay there's something there and I did a couple other programs one of the big ones that really changed me was uh, I interned at the National Gallery for a hot second in high school yeah and that opened up like the whole world of like modern art and really seeing kind of like 20th century art and really like seeing how people have pushed farther so I saw something that I really was attracted to and I wanted to chase more. Hmm. Because I saw mm. artists that were like similar. Like I remember the first time seeing Philip Guston and really being blown away being like wow, I can really like kind of like relate to this artist in a sense. Like I know there's like a 40 year or 50 year gap between when he was making his but I feel a connection and there's hmm. a place in the format where it's being shown. So this is where I want to be. Hmm. So it kind of advanced, and then you go to school. I went to art schools. And the more and more you get into that, the more kind of like-minded people you meet, and you kind of grow the community until your kind of community kind of is expands so much larger. And you're kind of then in your own art community and you know, contemporary art, I guess is what we would call it and stuff.
0: It's been quite a journey then, right?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, it really is. It's wild to think about. Ugh.
0: <laughs> it's time to go go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you've mentioned several, a couple of times, the support that you received from an art instructor and then also your parents. Can you explain a little bit about how important that support was to you? What you think would have happened if you didn't have that support? And maybe what you might say to someone who wants to express themselves through, th- through the arts, but isn't experiencing that same type of support
4: yeah i mean i probably wouldn't be doing art if or doing art on such a smaller level if i didn't have that support like my parents fully committing to me letting me like be able to you you know doing art is a risky kind of thing because there is no guarantees of jobs there is no guarantees of uh you know this is going to pay off at all it's kind of like you have your stuff and good luck and you know my parents trusted me and stuff and we're like, no, I think we can. You can do it. And so, having that support and being able to talk to them, especially when you're having a rough time of it, say like, there's been times where I just feel like I'm gonna quit because it's just like I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just like working too many jobs to just do this. Feel stupid. And I called them. Uh, I called them and I tell them, and they're like, come on, like. You got to get back up and do it. Like mm. you got to keep on going. You can't quit on us, like or you can't quit. And it helps me a lot. And same with teachers. I mean, that teacher in particular really started it. But I've always tried to find a mentor kind of figure to help me kind of work through things. You know, to see how they did it or um, to just grow a little bit more in art, like learn how to do things. So teachers have always been important to me. And, like, right now I'm teaching a little bit and it's kind of cool to be on the other side of the table with that. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's really weird, like, kind of being like, oh, now people are, like, asking for your opinion and, like, what should I do? And it's (laughs) like, oh, man. But um, for people who kind of um, don't have support or have that, it is really hard. But I say the best thing you can do is that is build a community of like-minded friends of some sort some sort of support of that nature where you can kind of uh, go to them, if your parents or like, um, I don't know, whoever, like your teachers aren't the people who are like helping you. Mm. Building kind of an art community, building people that like are with you in this is gonna be the best help for it.
0: Doing art and just doing art in general, it can be a very vulnerable and self-revealing process, right? And so, have you know, having that support I know f- for me and my creative endeavors is so important. You got to have people to remind you that, no, no, you can keep doing this.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you go crazy. Like I've got yeah. like crazy because it's just like, what am I doing? Like I'll find myself like knit, like sewing until like 7 PM, like starting at like, you know, nine to 7 PM. And I'm just in my studio freezing. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm just like sewing a flower. Like why? <laughs> Why am I here? Like, I could be enjoying life a little bit. (laughs) You're in the flow
2: state, and suddenly it's 12 hours later, and you're still working on one flower.
4: Yeah, pretty much. And you're like, wow, what a day.
2: (laughs) What is it like? I, I love that, like, there's sort of, like, layers to it where you're finding something that someone at one point thought was beautiful and then you're taking it and turning it into something else completely different. That's beautiful. Like that layering system to me kind of is so fascinating to like almost amp up something. What, what, can you talk about like the process of that, like going in your hunt, your search? Um, Do you like, you were talking about the history of things. Like have you done a lot of research on things or are you like, making up the story of the grandma knitting this for her grandchild or both
4: that's a great question i mean it's kind of a mixture so in my opinion it's less of a historical kind of like finding an object and learning the exact history and more of a spiritual history of it Mm -hmm. like this weird sense of charge you get from seeing something you know you know exactly the character that's built around a crochet Mm -hmm. blanket already and so I look for objects kind of like that, that have this charge, like the spiritual charge of like somebody or something has happened and you Mm -hmm. can kind of build a character around that. So there's this history, but it's kind of ambiguous, so to say, but you can build kind of, it's easy to build like a character or, or mythos around that. Same with like the moving blankets. They're all moving blankets on top, which is like a whole different kind of like idea I have with, kind of history and people and stuff like that
0: when you say moving blankets like you mean like blankets that you literally use to move yeah like the to pad your furniture and stuff okay yeah
4: so like i i work as a mover part-time
0: and stuff. oh fascinating
4: yeah yeah it's a good job um but um i you know kind of fell in love with these blankets because i realized you know on hot summer days your sweat and stuff get poured in and like it's this dented thing and it really kind of like reminded me of this kind of weird labor that is Mm. unseen like uh there's so many like i also work as an art handler time to time and i do productions of shows and one thing i've noticed is there's so much work that you don't see a lot of times that make into like the production of something you see like the one person maybe a curator or the artist and it's like wow what a great piece you've done but you don't see the like hundreds of people who made the process of that Mm. and i thought about the moving blanket in the same way as something that was, I guess, like, um, it was something that is used to protect, it's used for the process, but immediately when it's over, you take it away and you put it away, kind of the subjugation of, like, unseen protection or labor. Mm. And um, I thought there was kind of a charge to that, you know, all this history of, like, holding things and protecting them and then Mm. being put away. It's like this, like, weird...
0: And then you combine it with a crochet blanket that...
4: I yeah, like to call it, like, holds, the M&M, you know? Like, it's, like, you have, like, a hard outside of stuff. Like, this like, labor, and it's, like, gritty. And then you have this sincere kind of inside the gooeyness and stuff.
2: I want to know what you get, how it affects you making art. Like, you talked about, you know, the times when you're like, I can't do this anymore, and your family calls. Like, wh- why do you keep making art?
4: Um, I like it. Of course I do. I think that's a big thing. You know, I don't, secondly, I don't know like what I would do without it. I've gone so far at this point. It's kind of like, I got to see it through the end. Um, you know, it's strange. I think about like, uh, when I like, why do I like art or like why do I do art a lot of times? It's almost like an addiction, like a, like a gambling addict, so to say, (laughs) in a weird way when, um, You know, you're losing money a lot of times. You're spending way too much time in there. And like you're constantly being like, This is the one, this is the hand that I'm gonna win. Like this is it. And you know, some people like will be like, Oh, you know what? I spent too much money on this, I'm gonna leave the table. But you know, for me and I feel like a lot of other people who do art, it's like, hold on, I got one more, you know. I've Mm -hmm. got like I can I, I feel this good piece coming, you know. And then like a lot of times you'll get a like a show or something or like you win a pot and you're like oh I'm staying on you know I'm good so I know that's a weird metaphor but I think that's like so no
0: it's a a great metaphor
4: yeah it works perfectly
0: I mean we talk to a lot of people that have you know some sort of wounding around their creativity you know they didn't have a supportive art teacher or supportive parents and they were told that they couldn't draw or couldn't make art and so then they never and they stopped and they kind of cut themselves off from that form of expression and that that way of um, expressing their voice.
4: Yeah, that is definitely something you see a lot, especially in public schools and things like that, like just art as like secondhand and kind of just cut off or not being seen as like a serious thing. I know my like high school wasn't and stuff. So I could definitely relate to people just kind of calling it quits if they don't have a support team with them or like teachers or a family that is going to help.
2: What's it like to showcase your work on a scale that you do? There's such a confidence in that of being like, here's an entire gallery of my art. And I want to know like how how that feels to put that out there to the Hmm. universe instead of, you know, keeping it and just making art for yourself. And I always say, I, I, I make a lot of artwork that ends up hanging on the walls of a garbage can, but that's where it needs to go. And that's, it's very, but you enjoyed happy
0: making it, but I enjoyed
2: making it. So to be yeah. like, here, like that, that's such a huge piece of your soul out there. I want to know what that feels like.
4: Hmm. Um, it's scary. I got like, it's a weird feeling, especially, you know, your confidence is really kind of shaky when you do those things because you're, you are putting yourself out there you're putting your ideas out there and, you hope people like it, you know? And, you know, a lot of times I like to like maybe s- spend like 30 minutes in the gallery and then I'm having a show or something and then I want to leave because I just feel weird because it's like, I'm watching people watching my work. And it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to like see if they're liking it or not because like I'm trying to read their faces. I don't know. Like it's very uncomfortable, but for me, I always think there's like audiences for the work when you make it so there's an audience for myself there's like kind of a critique audience and then there's like a personal audience of someone being entertained by it so mm-hmm. when I produce work I have those ideas of the audience in mind um who do like who is this for and things like that for like shows and things of that nature a lot of times like these are explorations you know a lot of times I move from medium to medium and um kind of try different things out and so it's like these runs of productions, so to say, and it's kind of nice because I get to explore an idea and then I push that out and then I kind of start over again. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like being able to show maybe like a project or something of that nature. So for me, like showing with those, it's just kind of like this natural kind of ending to something. Like when I show it kind of like a lot of times that whole kind of a series kind of fades into a different kind of or transforms a little bit into something new.
0: Mm. what's something that you're exploring now that you're excited about
4: uh definitely these crochet pieces i started like um probably december of last year so Mm. i'm definitely exploring kind of the dualities of different materials with say the moving blanket being something that's banal and like work and rough versus the sincerity of the crocheted blanket Mm. and um the kind of purpose built for it, you know, as like something you show and you give with love versus a moving blanket. That's like beat up and kicked around and
3: Mm.
4: kind of using that as like a duality and then using this imagery for like a diuretic setup for myself. So the imagery kind of comes from different kind of like drawings that I do or ideas for like a mythos of like my own issues and things of that nature. And they're self-referential in myself um, Mm. and trying to work through issues that I've been having.
0: Would you say that's that's also something that draws you to the art? And you mentioned this earlier that there's a part of you that you can express maybe only through the art and maybe share a little bit about that.
4: Yeah, I, that is like probably the main reason or one of the main reasons I, besides the gambling addiction thing that I do like. <laughs> um, yeah, because I need to kind of have an outlet that is like kind of makes me comfortable and allows me to do like a, allows me to express those feelings. Mm. Um, allows me to kind of really just kind of like, you know, I have a hard time writing and reading and things the, and even talking about some of the things that I feel like. And so to have kind of something that I can pour into and kind of really just let loose and just kind of like let all those barriers down and just have it there is really nice. And it's kind of... um it helps me kind of just deal with things like it's kind of like lets out all the gas or the feelings you have.
0: That's mm. so a fairly cathartic process for you. And helps to, would you say it helps to improve your mental health in that way?
4: Relatively. I mean, I like my, so like, I think it allows you exploration of the issues that you're having. However, it mm. doesn't give you any solutions in that So I can explore why I'm feeling a certain way, however, and like, you know, it will open up more questions, so to say, but it Mm. doesn't really resolve or give you answers. Mm. It's a different medium you're putting your feelings in, so to say. Maybe someone who sees it can help you then. But Mm. I think for the self, it's a little bit hard to get away from it.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's very revealing, but then sometimes you need to go and take those questions to someone that can help you with kind of the next steps. How do you find that resolution?
4: Yeah, I think that's like very important because it's, you can't abstract from yourself, you know, you Mm. can like push it away a little bit or like try to get context. And, but if you really need, you need someone from the outside to look in to see like, if you're like, if these things are like being fixed or is this healthy and things of that nature. Mm. So art is a great way of, like, interpretation and maybe of, like, expressing these things that's happening to you. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a solution to problems. Mm. So, like, it's not like me address like, this is not like me being like, oh, this is therapy. It's me just doing what I'm doing as a cathartic, like, option and things of that nature. So I don't see mm. it as therapeutic, so to say, because it's yeah. just something cathartic that I'm doing.
0: Yeah. It's almost like a compulsion. Like this is how this is yeah, how yeah. I addiction
4: back to the yeah. <laughs> Do
0: well. You, you like found, you found oh, your voice. No, I, I was just saying he's found it. You found your voice and you've held on to it, and I think that's amazing.
3: Yeah.
2: Do you like talking about the pieces you make since they're so personal and they're so about your you know mental health and. Uh, or is it like, this is it, take what you want (laughs) from it, (laughs) but please don't talk
4: to me about it. Oh, well, so this goes back to kind of the audience thing. Um, Mm. I kind of think about my work in different categories of different audiences. that see it and kind of, you know, I break it down for myself, the kind of like comment or like, you know, the viewer and then the critic or the critique. So I do it for myself because it is a cathartic action that helps me express myself. However, I also want to show this and I want to show it to audience. So I do allow these diuretic issues to like show up, but I want them to be entertaining. So to say, like, I know entertaining is not the right word, but I use it anyways. Basically when someone sees it, they can go up and be like, that's cool. Or they can appreciate mm-hmm. it. They don't need to read deeply into it. They can just, you know, have some entertainment. So to say, it's kind of like, Oh wow. crochet blankets. Like neat. Oh, it's like it's kind of like <laughs> that. Like, or like um you know oh that's a cool sculpture like that's cool how metal is but then there is like the final the critique which i will and i'm happy to talk about with people the deeper meanings of things you know getting into these like emotional and kind of um therapy issues and things of that nature and i'm definitely fine because i realize also you have to be open about this stuff to shut down is not being helpful and i think like you know, when you produce something like that, people are going to have questions. And mm. you should, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're going into public with it, it's not something that you're leaving in your house. You should be able to answer them. You, you want to give them answers.
0: So if people want to see their wor- your work and check it out, where can they go to see that?
4: I have a website. It's uh, nickfaganstudio.com. And uh, I have an Instagram. It's at nick.fagan. and I'm also going to be in a show in May at a gallery called super Dutus up in New York. So awesome. Yeah. A couple of things.
2: We um, try to throw in a like practical thing that everybody can do uh, after listening to the podcast. And I would love for you to kind of give a prompt to someone who's like walking into a thrift store for the first time. Like, I'm gonna go, like, I keep going to like those old, remember those old glasses that had like the flowers on them. And like, that's what, when I think of thrift stores, that's what I think of those super vintage glasses. But can you kind of give someone something to like look for or how to navigate that when they're they're thinking, taking something and turning it into art?
4: Yeah. I think this is what I do and I think this is actually pretty fun to do is put on your headphones, um, play one of your favorite songs on repeat for like Aww. 30 minutes and then just walk around and just like look at things. Hmm. Don't think practically. Don't think of like, you know, oh, do I want this? Oh, is this cool or not? Just look. Look at form. Look at color. Smell. Kind of open your senses to it.
3: Hmm.
4: And it's like kind of repetition in this. This weird thing will happen, I think, where you start to really attract to certain things and you don't know why, but you know Mm. you're attracted, like you were talking about the glasses and things. And like when you're in that mode, you'll gravitate to things more. And so like if you do that, I feel like you're going to find some weird things and weird things about you.
0: I love that exercise because it's combining music, which, you know, is kind of my thing. Um, and, And then also all your senses. And that lines up, you know, what... What we know about trauma, and when we experience trauma, our brain doesn't—it doesn't encode it in the verbal area of our brain. It's kind of encoded in a pre-verbal and kind of that subconscious part of our brain that responds to stimuli from the environment. Um, so it's kind of a way to kind of tap into maybe that subconscious part of you that needs not just expressing trauma, but just that subconscious part of you that sometimes needs a different way to reveal itself than yeah. just well, the verbal spirit, expression you No, know?
4: like I, I like to call it the spirits like the like the charge and the spirits of those things that yeah the energy are in the head and you're like tingling from it
0: yeah that's a great I, I'm gonna totally try that I <laughs> love thrift stores and I can't wait to oh, it's a
4: blast too it's really so, okay it
0: so I found an item that I like the vibration of it. My subconscious is speaking to me. <laughs> what do I do with it when I get home?
4: You buy it and you kind of then just sit with it. You know, I think one of the big things that I do is sit with objects for a long time, mm. just see what it's like translating, and like let it be there. And then, you know, it, it's like a give and take. Sometimes I already know what I'm doing with something, but a lot of times I just have it with me. So I have like chairs and these plinths that I just I'm attracted to, and then. I have a little bit of an idea, like maybe I'll use it for a drawing or maybe I'll use it for a sculpture, Mm. but I just wait until say something like kind of hits or there is like, um, kind of another object that interact that I think will like work well together. Mm. So it's kind of waiting and kind of like just building kind of an arsenal of these like charged objects that can interact with each other. And then you can kind of combine them and mash them and kind of build something with that.
2: Do you have a favorite piece that you have found or a favorite piece that you have made out of something you have found?
4: The, uh, there's a piece that really like growing up and like it's from found objects. It's, I believe in the natural, uh, it's in the nat- uh, National Portrait Gallery, but it's this massive, massive uh, kind of like sculpture that is built out of tinfoil by a man from D.C. Oh, wow. Uh, who kind of had this moment of like, enlightenment about the new Bible and the new church and things. And mm. his whole goal was to create this whole world for the new God and the new church. I forget the name of the piece and the artist, unfortunately, but it lived in this garage where he would pick up scraps and he would build over the years and years and years. And, you know, talk about like charge and like mm-hmm. purpose and things like that. Like, that guy really had it. And, like, seeing it, it's just unbelievable the amount of detail. I mean, books, scepters, uh, whole kind of uh, preaching areas. It's insane. And, like, seeing that and being like, wow. And then, like, you know, seeing my piece, and I'm like, all right, that's a little bit like that. But it's like, wow, that's, like, intense.
0: Wait, are you talking about, like, he has these whole – vignettes of it's all made of tin foil.
4: Yes, yes. Oh,
0: I've seen it. I've seen this. It is absolutely mesmerizing. It is an existential experience to walk through
4: those. It's just crazy. This one guy had to do this, you know, like it's like, whoa, like what's going on? That's incredible. Um what's
2: the and then we're gonna let you go because I don't want to take up all of your day. But um how what's the longest it has taken you to make a piece? Two to three months maybe.
4: For one, when I was doing these large scale tapestries, they they were about like uh, roughly around like the biggest one was 12 by 12 feet and mm-hmm. uh, they were all hand Dude. sewn. Wow. And so um, I would just be sitting on the ground for hours, at, like a day, uh, just listening to podcasts or music and sewing with fishing line, just slowly and slowly doing it. It just took a lot of time. But yeah, I would say maybe like two to three months.
2: Well now you have a new podcast to listen to Arts for the Health of it. Yeah, I definitely will. <laughs> Just saying, throwing that out there, you could listen to it. Oh, for sure. I'm definitely going to listen. Nick, thank you very much for jumping on and talking with us today.
4: Yeah, thank, thank you so you much, guys. Nick. Yeah.
0: And, and if you're listening, make sure you go and check out his website. He has such cool images on there and follow him on social and if you're in New York, check out his check out his show. But thank you for being here. We'll talk to you soon.
4: Yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Yep.
0: is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartseat Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.